Well, when you woke up this morning, uh, you had a lot of expectations uh, that you probably didn't even know you had. Um, this series that we're going to be in for the next four weeks is called Danger Expectations Ahead. And my hope is that through Scripture, you will begin to incorporate uh, the, the, the thoughts of, am I just angry because of unmet expectations? Maybe your spouse is disengaging because of unverbalized expectations. Well, expectations can be a killer of your joy. And uh, so we've, uh, when, when you got up, you expected uh, the lights to turn on probably. Well, you probably got up when the lights didn't need to be turned on, but uh, you probably expected that to happen. You expected your uh, toothpaste container to have toothpaste in it. You expected your car to start. You expected there to be no traffic. That's a you problem. Uh, you, 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 you have all these different expectations. Uh, one of my biggest nightmares and the thing that would scare me the most is if something happened to my wife and I actually had to start dating again. That would be a nightmare. A nightmare for whomever I'm dating because I would be like the, the, the church hunters. And for those of you who are here and maybe you're visiting and you're looking for a church, I am so sorry. It is so stressful to try to figure out. It's like, it's like dating. You go and you might like this part, but not like that part. And they joked about this. And I don't, I don't know about that. And, and so I just want you to know Wherever you land, I, I just want it to be a place that preaches God's word, that loves you, that accepts you, and uh, honors you. So, <clears throat> that means spring. And, um, <laughs> but that's, that's what we want. So, the, these expectations can, can really be a, a killer for us. Like, if you go to a five-star restaurant, you might have the best steak you've ever had in your life, but because it was five-star, you expected it to taste even better than that. And you've probably had some of your best experiences in life where you went to some place and you had zero expectations. And you left going, that was fantastic. But what I want to talk about this morning is what happens when we bring our expectations to church and how damaging that can be both for the people around you, uh, but most importantly for your connection with God. Some of you came here and you expected uh, me to be preaching, and I just happened to be preaching, and so that was an, a met expectation. Some of you came, and you didn't know because we have four worship leaders which one was leading, and you saw Ko up here, and you're like, yes, he's my favorite, right? Um, and, and, or vice versa. You thought today we had a guest speaker, and you're here going, what day is it today, right? And now you're upset, or you, you like Anna better than Ko. Sorry, Ko. I don't know. Some people do, I guess. I don't know. From the emails, I get. Um, and so, so some people like Taylor. Some people like that. Like, like, but if you come to church to meet Jesus and you have certain expectations of how that's going to go, you have the biggest potential to miss out on what he might have for you with something you didn't expect. When you look through the scriptures, and after Easter, we're going to go through a series called Not Your Sunday School Jesus, and uh, we'll be starting small groups, which you can see in your bulletin on how to sign up for those, um, and we'll, you'll get into groups with uh, eight to ten people, and we'll be talking about how Jesus broke the molds, how he didn't meet anybody's expectations, and how sometimes when he, met, when he didn't meet their expectations, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. Just say it out loud, right? Kill Jesus, like that's incredible. 
because he didn't meet their expectations of what a Messiah is supposed to look like. Well, we're going to look in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a, it's a book that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It's actually, he actually wrote three letters that we know of. Um, this one's called 1 Corinthians. The first letter he wrote, actually he wrote before this, but nobody can find it. In this book, or letter, he references, as I wrote to you before. So we know he's got zero Corinthians out there somewhere. So uh, this is 1 Corinthians, and then there, there's 2 Corinthians. And what Paul is trying to do, the church is early in its, in its formation, and so they're just trying to work out what does it mean to be church. Church is just, the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It just means gathering. What does it look like to gather? What does it look like when we gather together? What, do, do, do we have a certain uh, way we go about things? How do we dress? There's a church um, I know of, a friend of mine visited, and uh, he showed up. And he, had, he was dressed kind of like me, but he had a T-shirt on, jeans and a T-shirt. And um, they told him he had to leave because he wasn't in a suit and tie because they believed that that's how you present yourself to God. You're in a dress and a suit and tie. And theologically, the way you present yourself to God is actually naked, blind, wretched, and poor. So what I told him to do is go, I'll be right back. Uh, but... <laughs> I didn't want to, want to get, in, get into all, all that. Uh, so Paul's writing this letter to this church because they're struggling. They're struggling with how they gather. Everybody has a different opinion of what it should look like to gather in the name of Jesus. And so they all are coming with these expectations, and it's dividing the church up because they ha- their expectations lead to division. And that happens a lot of times. You might be getting married and you have an expectation of what marriage looks like and you go into that marriage with all those expectations. That's why when I counsel couples before they get married, I try to get every single expectation down on the table as much as I can. Who's doing the books? Who's doing the cooking? Who's doing the cleaning? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? Some other questions that we can't get into right now because it's a mixed company. Uh, Just different questions on, on, on get those expectations out, verbalize them so that there's no division later. So Paul starts out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, he first commends them, and that lasts for nine verses. (laughs) He's like, hey, you guys are doing really great in in a lot of stuff. Okay, let's get busy. And then he spends the next five chapters uh, going after them. And here's what he says to them. This is his appeal to them. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. Now, this is really important as we think about what it means to gather together. He didn't say that there be no disagreements, did he? He didn't say that there wouldn't be any um, conversations, He didn't say anything like, you can't say, hey, I really prefer it when. No, it's it's specifically divisions. And divisions happen, the beginning of them are unmet expectations. You expect it's going to go a certain way, and and it doesn't. And so you begin to internalize that, and then the next step is you begin to externalize that. 
and you find the people with the expectations that you had. Now listen, I just want to make this super clear. One of the things I love about this church is that I don't deal with this very much. Everybody seems to be, for some reason, nice to each other, um, but it's around the corner in any second. It's around the corner. One decision, and, and you could find yourself going, why did that upset me so much? I would say it's probably unmet expectations. So here's what he says, um, that you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but listen to this, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. How is that possible with all the ways that there is to worship? So I'm going to try something. I don't know if this is going to work or not. But there's a difference between uh, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. This is right thought. And this is right action, okay? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. What Paul is saying here when he says that you should be, man, my handwriting's horrible. <laughs> wow. Wow. If your expectations were that I had good handwriting, you're going to have to fight, go to Cottonwood or something, I guess. I don't know what his handwriting's like. But that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, how is that possible? Because all Paul cares about right now is orthodoxy. He wants you to be on the same mind of your theology. I'll give you an example. In my theology, the word of God is the authority. It's inspired by him through many different writers over many different times. I base, to the best of my ability, my entire life on its authority. I believe when it's clear and what it says, it's true. I believe that it's without error, okay? Um, I, I believe that when applied, you will get the results that Jesus and uh, the other people speaking in the Bible say. I believe that. And so the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the authority. It's the main reason why we gather is to hear the word of God, okay? That's my orthodoxy. Do I preach verse by verse? No, I preach series. Do I put in a lot of different verses? Sometimes, but mostly we try to stick on, on a short, little, like kind of more digestible bites. That's our orthopraxy. Now, if you go to a church down the street and they preach verse by verse and they're preaching the word and they go in longer, they go longer than I do and they do, who cares? That's orthopraxy. Do we both believe in the inspired word of God? Absolutely we do. It, that doesn't matter. Here's another thing. Worship. Our, our theology says that we worship the living God. And in fact, we have access to him. We just sang about his presence. That his presence is in this room. That is our theology. How I express myself in worship is my orthopraxy. So I prefer, me, in my orthopraxy, I prefer to raise my hands. The reason I like that is because uh, growing up, um, I, well, still, I, I have a, just a touch of ADD, just a tiny little bit, um, and so I would get distracted, and, and so the thought of like raising my hands was like, oh man, like people are watching or whatever, and 
Every time I raise my hands, it's just a reminder to myself that God is on the throne, that it's not about me. I, I, I surrender myself to him. I close my eyes and I think about, about who he is and what we're singing about. And it's just, a, it's just a posture of surrender. You might shove your hands in your pockets and think and pray. That's our orthopraxy. It, it doesn't matter. Now, can you imagine... And I've heard this before. Now, I'm going to say some things, and if you've said this before to me, I can't even remember who said it. It's been said a lot, so don't think, oh, he's thinking about that. I honestly could not. I even tried, just because I knew I'd prove myself right. I tried to think of a face to this, and I couldn't. So they'll say, oh, in this church today, it didn't seem like anyone was worshiping. If you have that spiritual gift, we need to talk, because that's amazing. <laughs> you can literally worship with your hand shoved in your pocket. You can worship with your arms crossed. You can worship sitting down. You can worship kneeling down, standing up, lying down. You can worship with a coffee in your hand, hopefully. Uh, like, that's your orthopraxy. That's your orthopraxy. Now, if all of a sudden I started saying, unless you're raising your hand, you're not worshiping, that's where divisions come up because my expectations is that you're going to respond to your orthodoxy the same way I respond to my orthodoxy, but that's orthopraxy. And Paul was never really concerned in orthopraxy. He was concerned with orthodoxy. Does that make sense? Okay. In the scriptures... And orthodoxy or theology is that we're all given certain gifts. Some of those gifts are more expressive. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, these things that are more, the gift of healing, more, more mystical, more spiritual. So you might find a church where they're like, that is the expression on a Sunday morning. My theology and our theology here is that all of the gifts are for today. There are people who speak in tongues, people who have gifts of healing, people who have gifts of uh, prophecy, people who have uh, uh, gifts of teaching, hospitality, all those gifts are. But we don't express some of those gifts on a Sunday morning in our ecclesia at this time. That's our orthopraxy. That doesn't mean that we disagree. If you stay here a little later after service and you go to the, uh, our sister church, it's all in Spanish, they, their worship has a ram's horn and they blow that thing. Trust me, my office is right there. They blow it loud, right? Now imagine if they said, unless you blow a ram's horn, you're not worshiping American English church, <laughs> you know? We'd go, what are you talking about? Well, the same goes the other way. Our theology is that there's different movements and different expressions of the Holy Spirit or orthopraxy is this is how we do it now. Does that make sense? Okay. So what, God, what Paul is saying is your theology better be so strong that it doesn't matter what's happening around you. Your theology, the gospel, he's going to get into the gospel big time. We'll see where all this is going. Better be so strong that whether we have someone up here playing an organ and all they're doing is hymns, or we have somebody rocking out a heavy metal worship band, you, you have the ability to transcend that and go, God, what are you wanting to do right now in this moment? I had a pastor. He used to dance. 
He'd sit right there where I sat. And the worship would go, and, and he'd start dancing. He'd dance up the aisle a little bit, and over here, over there. And it drove me bananas. <laughs> it drove me nuts. This is, this is a man of God. Like, I'm surprised I didn't get leprosy just by, like, not agreeing with him dancing around. And so I remember one day I was, I was, we were sitting there, and I was praying. I'm like, God, I can't, I can't concentrate. I feel like the Lord going, I gave you eyelids, shut them. <laughs> like, it's already been worked out. I already figured it all out. Just use the eyelids I gave you and calm down. Raise your hands, right? right? It's like, it's like and, and it was a miracle. It was a miracle. My Sunday morning completely changed. I was like, close my eyes, and then here's a trick, because you're like, well, then how are you going to see the words? You just squint a little bit. You just shoot over. It's like, it's easy. Like, you can get past it. And I was able to meet God again, because that's why I'm there. I'm there to meet Jesus. I'm not there to figure out whose orthopraxy I like and whose orthopraxy I don't like. I I use this a lot, this analogy. And again, I'm not coming, this, we don't, you know, this is just so you can go tell your friends at other churches what not to do. That's all. Uh, I, uh, I think so much when we talk about what you should and shouldn't do in church and when, and I always think to myself, man, what if I grew up in rural Iowa and there was one church? Think about this. Could I attend and worship my Savior? I have no control over who's there, how diverse it is. I have no control over anything. Can I walk into that church and worship my Heavenly Father? Because if I can't, that's a me problem. It's not their problem. They're probably doing just fine. But I go in, I'm like, ooh, boy, they're off key. Oh, ugh, this is, oh, pews, oh, my back. Like, you know, like all these different things. Meanwhile, God's going, am I not still on the throne? You can't think of something about me to worship. So let's move on. But you be perfectly united in mind and thought. To be perfectly united in your theology. God is greater than any church service we could possibly do. If, I did, if we did everything correctly to its top-notch things, we had uh, camels and a whole Christmas thing and it, all the music was perfect and we all dressed perfectly, exactly. Do we do enough? No. It's not enough for God. I said I was going to move on, then I didn't. Here's what he says. Chloe said, I, 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 I interpreted this verse, by the way. This is not literally what it says, but we had to move on. Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. In other words, somebody's triangulating in the church. They go to Paul and they, they rat on everybody, okay? So they, they come and say, you know, this is like some of the, um, yeah. Uh, so that, this is what happens. Listen to this. This is, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. That's my version of orthopraxy. Whatever he does. I like it when he comes and speaks. I like, I, like, I follow Paul. I like the way he's, he's real strong and I read his letters all the time and I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Apollos was uh, a convert, but from what we understand through history and through other things we can gather from the Bible, he was an awesome teacher right? And so it's like, oh, I like it when Apollos comes. He's like the Andy Stanley of the ancient church. 
He's just like, uh, everything's good. He's got skinny jeans. Everything runs perfect. The slides are always perfect. It's like, oh, man, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Now, we don't know how Cephas led, but we can imagine that he had been following Jesus. And so it's like, I love it when he tells his Jesus stories about the time he went up on the hill and, and all this. Oh, man, I love, it when, I love it when Cephas is there. He tells Jesus stories. He talks about how he was restored back to Jesus. I love that. I just, P, uh, Cephas, who's Peter in the Bible, he's got this hard, this real strong heart, and, and he's fiery, he's crazy. I love him. And then another says, well, I follow Christ. <laughs> See, this is the power play you always have. I don't worry about that. I follow Jesus. Man means nothing to me, right? Those are the real spiritual ones that Paul's talking to. I may or may not be reading a little bit into the Bible. Uh, so he says this. Is Christ divided? This is, this is Paul's question. Is, is, is Christ divided? Is there, a, is there a right way to meet Jesus? Is there a best way to meet him? I was with some people over the weekend and they were talking about their their conversion story at a harvest crusade it's powerful i hear other people talk about their conversion with a friend other people they come to a conservative church super conservative they find jesus there others go to a liberal church find jesus there others go to a charismatic church find jesus there Others go to a, a you know, Bible-thumping, Baptist, fire, brimstone. It's hell or heaven, and you better pick now because you're going to get hit by a train on the way out. We got one waiting for you. <laughs> and they find Jesus there. Is Christ divided? Paul's asking. And then he asks these other questions. Uh, he says, they're rhetorical questions, by the way. The answer to all of these is no, if you're taking notes. Okay. Was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> right? Like, like Paul is writing this himself. Like, am I, what am I, am I so special? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then typical Paul, he goes in on this little rant. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, right? And then he goes on, he says, so that no one can say uh, you were baptized in my name. Ah, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, right? <laughs> like he's, I don't know if he's talking to a scribe or he's writing it down like, oh gosh, I, I don't have an eraser on this thing. <laughs> okay. And he says, I don't, I, don't I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And that's like, so then he's just like, so stop talking about baptism. At least the, he sounds a lot like me in this, I think. He says this, man, listen to this. Jesus did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Apollos might be there to baptize, or Cephas is, the ba is awesome at baptisms. Oh, man, when Cephas is there, baptisms everywhere. Apollos is there to teach, just to give really good, solid teaching. Paul's saying, my job is to tell you about Jesus and how he can change your life. My job is to tell you, my story where I saw him on the road to Damascus and I was blinded for a while and I had my eyes opened and now I just travel around trying to get churches started so that people can hear about Jesus. This is what Paul's saying. 
He doesn't need to be a great teacher. He says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The gospel is foolishness if you're trying to figure out with your brain. Like, okay, so let me get this straight. I'm a sinner, been sinners for all this time. God comes down in the form of a man, and then he dies for my sins, and then he rises again, and then I just follow him, and uh, my life begins to turn around. That's basically the gospel. That doesn't make any sense. Like, literally, there's no Tony Robbins in there at all. No, there's no Tony Robbins. Like, yeah, like, it's, there's no podcast. He doesn't have a podcast, because I'd like to listen to his podcast. No, that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is that you don't have to live for yourself for the rest of your life, and that you can be in a relationship with God for all of eternity. That's, that's the good news. And Paul's like, I'm not going to waste my time trying to be somebody you want me to be. I can't. And he says, um, but to us who are being seen, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now watch these expectations that Paul throws out here. Things that'll get in the way of you finding Jesus each day more powerfully than you did the day before. These things are little hints as to how when we wake up in the morning and we have expectations of what God is going to do for us or what God's not going to do or how we're going to visit Jesus or what things we're going to listen to, worship songs, all these kinds of stuff. He says this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. So for a Jew in this context, it's like, I'll totally believe in Jesus. Just show me something. Just go ahead. Abracadabra, let me see something. Let me see healing. Let me see something. And the Greeks ask for wisdom. I want to know exactly from A, I want the apologetic of from here to here, foolproof argument of why you should follow Jesus. I'm sorry that doesn't exist. And the signs that you get, that you want, probably will not serve you very well when you get into crisis. It's going to be your relationship with Jesus and how that has begun. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I just want to talk to Christians right now. If you're not a believer, you are so let off the hook right now. How in the world have we gotten to a place in the American Christian church that we have let our orthopraxy dictate how we experience the power of God and the wisdom of God? How is that possible? How is it that we've become so consumeristic that unless it's done just the right way, the way we want, the way we grew up, the way we think, the way we want to read the Bible, the translation we want, the this we want, this we want, and then I can finally experience Jesus. It's the power of God and the wisdom of God that's found in Jesus. This can be experienced anywhere, anytime. Okay, let me put it this way. The worst church I could ever imagine if I, had to, if I had to, like, come up with it in my mind. Um, like, this would be the worst church. I would, I, I would never want to attend this church. Prison. Like, I don't want to ever go to prison. 
Prison to me scares me, right? Guess where most of the New Testament was written? Prison. Apparently somebody, somebody figured out how to experience God in prison. Well, if he can figure out how to experience God in prison, I certainly can figure out how to experience God at a little church in Iowa. Like, why would it matter? And I'd be sitting there the whole time in the front pew. At least I'm not in prison, right? right good. Thank you, Jesus, right? It's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's not the setting of God. I've created this setting that's just perfect. Because that's just man-made. And the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I'm not going to keep going. We'll save that for next week. So here's my point, I guess, in a nutshell. Are there expectations that you have that you're bringing into your relationships, that you're bringing into your situations, that maybe you're bringing into work, that you're bringing into your marriage, that you're bringing into your friendships, expectations that you bring in, where because you have them, you rob yourself of the joy of experiencing the power of God and the wisdom of God. That maybe we could begin to analyze ourselves, look at ourselves and go, you know what, I, that's, that's, that's a me problem. That's a me problem. How do I right now, in this place, not necessarily this place, but in the place I find myself, in traffic, where I go, man, I, I, was, I expected to be there 20 minutes later. I mean, 20 minutes earlier. Is that an opportunity for Jesus to go, well, you've got 20 minutes to experience the power of God and the wisdom of God. What do you want to talk to me about? What do you want to do? You want to call somebody and give them a word of encouragement? Just tell them you love them? Tell them that you're praying for them? Would you like to spend 20 extra minutes in prayer? Experience the power of God and the wisdom of God? See, oftentimes I find when I can't do that, it's because I've, I've drugged these expectations into where I'm going, what I'm doing. Oh, I know what that guy's going to say. Oh, I know what the, oh, yeah. The, you know. One of my things that I can't worship to is flashing lights, like a big stage with flashing lights. And I'm just like, oh, man, it's just it's too distracting. And again, I struggle with just a little bit of ADD. No. Um, and yet, I get into those situations, and if I'm mature enough at the time, and I just go, God, there's no reason why I can't meet you here. And I shut my eyes, and I don't care about the lights or anything else. Guess what he does? He's faithful to meet me in my place. If I just get my expectations, I leave them at the door. 